0: Welcome to or welcome back. This is Grateful and Full of Greatness. I'm your host, Mark Lucini. On this podcast, I sit down with guests who, in my opinion, live their life with the pursuit of greatness in mind. And this platform allows me to discuss and to explain strategies that go into peak performance. This is episode number three. My guests, Dr. Rob Gilbert and Maria Nolan. Dr. Gilbert has been a professor of sports psychology for roughly 40 years. He's the most energizing teacher I've ever met, one of my mentors, and dear friend. Maria Nolan, the best high school girls volleyball coach in the state of New Jersey. Doc and I would argue the world. Some coaches are good for a few years, maybe decades. Maria Nolan has been dominant for over 43 years, winning the New Jersey State Championship 13 straight years at Immaculate Heart Academy and 29 total state championships, including 10 tournament of championships. Doc, Maria, I'm grateful to have you on my podcast, and thank you for sitting down with, with me today.
1: Thanks for having us, Mark.
0: Hi. <laughs> so, Doc, uh, what drove you to sports psychology, and what kind of influences uh, set you on the path that you are today?
2: Um, well, it's, it's, it was just the most natural thing in the world. Um, as a student, as an athlete, as a person, I had psychological problems. I mean, not, not severe psychological <laughs> problems but everything from, you know, everything I teach, relaxation, I, I was anxious, I couldn't sleep, and, and, and there were very simple answers. I mean, really simple answers. And it was just so much fun to find an answer when nobody was giving answers, you and know?
0: If it's so easy, why would you say that so many people have such a hard time with it? Well, we over it.
2: You know, like you go to a doctor uh, or a psychologist or a psychiatrist with an anxiety problem, especially a psychiatrist, uh, they'll give you a pill. So you could give the pill or you could learn the skill. You know, you could learn to medicate or meditate, you know. And it's just – I'm not saying that medi- medication is bad, but at least try the meditation. So I'm the main also-
0: influences was your own life yeah, experience. of course. Of course. It was your own life experience. Yeah. Uh, Maria, as being a coach, how do you help uh, your athletes get to this optimal state?
1: Well, actually, I was fortunate enough to find Dr. Gilbert years ago, back <laughs> in the 80s. I took a course that he was teaching and um, although before that course i went to one of his workshops called winner's workshop and i understood the importance of psychology in relationship to sports and working with high school athletes so i incorporated a lot of what i learned in his class into my coaching
2: if if we could get a pill from what maria does with her athletes Uh, she is so extraordinary and I would say virtually nothing she does comes from me. I mean, she is, there are very few people that are geniuses what they do. She's a genius at what she oh does. And I would her, agree. Her, her kids been. always do their best when it means the most. They never choke. They never underperform. I mean, she is, uh, there's no coach on her level. Yeah, exactly. In any sport. And
0: that's what you're trying to do with yeah. your athletes, is so make them play we best. we had lunch together today to
2: get ready. And, <laughs> and you know, I mean, <laughs> when you find somebody this extraordinary, I mean, you can't. You can what's the secret you don't know the secret it's so many things it's so complicated and then um, we were telling her about one of my students that never miss never misses class right. and we said when's the last time you miss practice or a game never she's never missed practice she's never missed a game in 43 years right now. Woody Allen said, you know, showing up is 80% 80 of success. I mean, she, she, oh, she said she had a meeting once. She had, but you know, a volleyball meeting, probably a seating meeting. But I mean, if nothing else, 43 years, she's never missed a game and she's never missed a practice. Um, John DeLate, one of my friends who's a high-level administrator in college, he tells my freshman students, if you never, ever miss a class in college, If you just do that, you're going to graduate. Now, of course, you're saying, well, you know, that doesn't mean I'm going to study. No, but if you're committed enough to go to your classes, you're going to be committed enough to study. If you're so committed to go to every single practice and every single game, when you're sick, when you have family problems with this, imagine, you know, that's a solid foundation.
0: Absolutely. And I think something that I took away from lunch is all all your success, you still find this – there's such an aura of humility about you, you know, and you've had been so successful, you've won so much. So how do you do that? How do you how do I don't you maintain? Know. You that?
1: too are so generous with your compliments, but there have been bad <laughs> games, <laughs> there have been bad days, um, and as far as going to every practice and and match, I just it's part of the job and it's what's expected. I expected of the athletes to be at every practice, unless they're very sick. Um, and it's just a commitment that you have. You you commit to participate, you commit to coach, then you you should be there. So it's just, you know.
0: So showing up is more than half the battle. But then what goes in after that? I mean, you, you've been teaching, you've been learning, and, and trying to explain to people mental training for such a long time. Yeah. So they show up. What's yeah. next, right? When the pressure hits, when they well, get tense. How do you if you're a that?
2: student. Number one, you show up. Number two, you pay attention. Mm. Like if you go to the movie and fall asleep, focus. you're not gonna remember the movie. Right. If you go to practice and you don't pay attention, you're not gonna get anything out of the mm. practice. Mm. But I mean, if, if you're gonna show up all the time, you then show up early and stay late. That's what they tell people in sales. Mm-hmm. First in, first out. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, so you, you can't go wrong with that. But there, there has to be, now I'm sure we have some people listening. They say, well, I'm willing to do that. Mm. I'm willing to do that. And that's okay that you're willing but you're gonna lose yeah. to the people who are eager, Right. you know? Yeah. I mean, right. eager beats willing. Willing means tell me what to do and I'll comply. Right. Okay, you want a thousand page paper? I'll write it, it won't right. be any good, but I'll write it. Right. But eager is, oh, I can't wait. Mm-hmm. I can't wait to go to practice no
1: We have athletes that um, usually stay later, not too many that come earlier because of the time schedule with school, but they'll stay later to work on different things because they want to improve. They know they need some work in an area and we'll have that. But I think part of it too, of them coming, they want to be part of the team. Mm. So that, that's, I guess, at least half the battle. Yeah. <laughs> but also that we make um, the practices worthwhile, that they're getting better and that they enjoy it. Yeah. And then coming is,
2: they want to be there, they want
1: to practice. Let me
2: ask you a question. I mean, there is nobody, and she will refute this, but nobody has her credentials in any sport, at the high school level, anywhere in the country. Right. How many? Just this past season, uh, Marie's at Immaculate Heart Academy in Northern Jersey. How many uh, preseason? During the season, how many coaches at any level came to your practices to watch what you did? During the season? Yeah.
0: I don't know. If she's taking I don't, that long, isn't that amazing? I don't think
2: any just, that, you know, not, that So amazing? here you have Sometimes. here you have the genius, <laughs> yeah. the person, right. and then you have people that want to be her. Right. So don't you think you'd show up? Right don't you think you'd go to you know uh, other than the people that you pay to be at your camps in the summer I don't see any coaches showing up to
0: well why don't they just wait uh, another year for her to be win the tournament championships and read about it in the paper uh, no I
2: mean but that's the thing I mean so you show up you pay attention and then yeah that's working hard but working smart is figuring out figuring out what this genius does Mm -hmm. I've had
1: um, people I've invited them to camp yeah. from other schools that they've come, and they've sat and taken yeah. Not many, but some have. And I've gotten phone calls over the years yeah. um, from some people wanting to you know, pick my brain about but things. So picking once
2: in a while. Right. But let me tell you the other story. Um, many years ago, I had the um, Maria Nolan of basketball, the greatest boys basketball coach in history. Remember Bobby Hurley, Bob Hurley from I St. Know him. Anthony's. And um, he came to my class. And this guy's superstar, just like you. A matter of fact he's probably won more national mm-hmm. championships because yes. you don't have national mm-hmm. championships and so, um, so one of my students said what's your secret to success and he says I don't own golf clubs <laughs> what your secret to success is and then somebody says coach we don't understand what that means he said well when you get to my level there are all these big-time basketball camps you go to with your buddies you know and you know they give you one session every morning from nine to ten or something you work at nine to ten then you go play golf <laughs> with your buddies he you said not me i don't own golf clubs i bring my notebooks i go to every session i can i'm taking notes i don't care if it's first year coach i don't care if it's a veteran coach from that week in addition to my paycheck i want to get one, one drill i could use just one drill so here's the greatest basketball
0: coach still wanting to get
2: one drill,
0: you know? I was just talking about, this This is my father, whether you're listening to a podcast or a movie or a book yeah. or whatever it is, you're looking for those little nuggets, That's right. right? It's nothing That's right. new and different. Right. But things that come to mind when, I'm, when I hear those golf clubs or that story about golf clubs is distractions. And we were talking about an athlete being willing versus eager. In your athletes, and what is that split? That over your 43 years, has it been uh, 50-50 of athletes that are willing versus eager? And what makes them jump from willing no, to eager? No, most are eager. Most. Most. Yeah. Most.
2: And what
1: is There that? haven't Why been are that eager? many that weren't, or we'd never have the success that we had of both C Caucus and IHA.
0: How do you get them to eager? Is it is it something that you do, or do they come in eager? Hmm.
1: I, they they came in eager once we were winning mm-hmm. and it was successful. Mm-hmm. Then they came in eager, but mm-hmm. to get them at the beginning to that part wasn't easy. But the way I get again, I'm. Re- Going back to designing the practices so that they realize that they are improving and they're getting better and their time is being spent worth you know, it's worthwhile. And and just wanting them to get better and you know, when you start winning, you want to keep winning. It's so it's just, really it's that incremental improvement con- breeds that enthusiasm <laughs> yes, out of them. Yeah. They just and see so it they it and they want to. I remember being at Sea Caucus and the girls would say they wanted hard practices. They didn't want things easy. They wanted to work hard and get better. And,
0: and Doc, you always talk about how people won't believe what you say but they'll believe what they do, yeah. right? And that's what I'm hearing. Uh, when your athletes come and you develop a practice plan that's working on strategic improvement and they mm-hmm. start feeling it and realizing it themselves, what do you do about the athlete that doesn't care about the practice or you? What do you care, what if a student just doesn't care about the lesson or what, do you mean, what about yeah. us students?
2: What about all students? <laughs> See Maria is like Bruce Springsteen. If you go to a Bruce Springsteen (laughs) concert, when people are walking Uh, in to the concert, they're already psyched up, you know? Like if you and I gave a talk, nobody's going to, because they don't know us, you know? But if Tony Robbins is giving a talk, so Maria, especially in the little town of Seacockus, I mean, little kids want to be part of her program, Mm -hmm. you know? At IHA, I mean, it's already, you want to be part of the Yankees, Mm -hmm. you know? And so she has a – in school, it's not even – it's not cool to be eager.
0: Mm. Maria, how have mm. you dealt with this aura of, like, fame, whether it's caucus or maybe fame's um, not the word, but kind of I like the publicity about I don't think of
1: it. it. I just go about, go about my it. everyday mm. business.
0: So um, kind of I, I
1: did have some athletes, when you, asked, when you would talk about that before, the, some that weren't eager and how do you deal with them. I remember it wasn't easy because you want the team to do well, but – you know, sometimes when you get an athlete that is that gifted athletically, they don't work as hard as the other ones. And you need to really push them and bring them to that so that, you know, the team develops to become stronger. And the other players see that and they get annoyed when, if someone isn't putting out the way they should and right. working hard. You know, something I was talking about I'm with about a, a coach
0: recently. Uh, because he was a firm believer in the importance of celebration, symbolism, ceremonies. And it is important to have that, right? Mm -hmm. What are you working for? You're working to celebrate a state championship, Mm -hmm. right? But the questions you have to ask yourself is, how long are you reflecting for? And who are you reflecting with when you celebrate? Because if you're dragging out that that celebration too far, then you're not focused on the next year, right? And that's Mm -hmm. something, obviously, without even asking you, you've been good at doing, right? Mm -hmm. Turning the page and focusing on the next year. Um, what do you sort, sort of do um, at the end of one year to prepare for the next year? Is it something like a total revamp and review um, of the year or?
1: Pretty similar, pretty traditional. If something's working, I schedule it again. Mm-hmm. Try to keep the same thing going that we've done that works. But, I mean, there's been things we've changed over the years, obviously. but.
0: Does try it deal with the change of personnel, personalities? Like, um, how do you deal with that change? try to keep
1: the same philosophy when I'm coaching, uh, the way you know to work hard and with the you know use the same design, putting the lineups together and things that have worked. Right. So I look back if something isn't working, I look to change it.
0: Doctor, and a, and it you. changes
1: during the season, and I don't know that the players or even parents. <laughs> understand that the you know they think right at the beginning even in scrimmages they're like oh she has this lineup out this is who's going to be on the court when a coach at that mm-hmm. point is looking to see what works what could be the best design of the group and then me- there's been a number of years where during st- state state tournament time i've changed the lineup to win oh, yeah it's happened a number of times i can't even count right now but it is doesn't that a gut feeling a, for you? Or yeah. It, yeah. It's mm. at this point I could say this isn't right, this isn't working, it's not going to happen. Right. So we either keep going with it and it won't happen or I can give it a shot, take a chance, change something. Right. And. It,
0: they usually, they say on yeah, an individual okay. <laughs> level, uh, a slump is like a soft bed, easy to get into, hard to get out of. And you're finding the difference that makes the difference by changing that lineup, right? She's, never, she's never had a slump, though. Yeah, but she's feeling so, it coming on. Yeah. She feels it coming oh, yeah. on, and she changes yeah, yeah, it. That's you know, a gut yeah. instinct because yeah. you yeah. kind of have – I always think that the the best coaches out there have their finger on the pulse of the team, right? And and where's the trajectory going? The trajectory of an individual, a team, or a business is much more important than where they are right now, right? And And being aware of where um, they are.
1: We lost the Bergen tournament again for the fifth time that resulted in us winning the tournament of champions, winning our state title, winning the tournament of champions. So what happens after a loss? You actually work harder yeah you dig, <laughs> in. Say that. you dig in but you do yeah. and you know that you know this is it this is what you're working for fighting right. for and you just seem to work harder had we won the Bergen tournament the way things were going at that time I don't believe that we would have won we would have kept winning it all
2: right so. and what you just said reminds me I was a, um, a collegiate wrestler and a uh, high school wrestling coach and I had a genius coach in college and when I started coaching uh, high school He said If you want to have A state champion You better make sure That he doesn't get To the state championship Undefeated Because if you get To the state championship Undefeated You're wrestling not to lose You're not wrestling to win yeah. He said Bring him to Pennsylvania Bring him to Iowa But make sure the kid loses mm-hmm. You know uh,
0: yeah. I mean mm-hmm. The, the I just went to go see a few years ago in 2018, Yale lacrosse, yeah. lost in the Ivy championship to Cornell, and yeah. then won the national yeah. championship. Yeah. And that who's to say it. that would have that would have yeah. ended that way if it, the first one didn't happen? Mm-hmm. You,
2: you know, I have a million dollar idea for somebody out there. You get in touch with Maria and work out a deal with her and interview her, and I know the title of the book, what a great coach could teach a leader. Mm. Because a lot of times, um, she doesn't even know what she's doing. You just watch <laughs> her on the sideline.
0: you got to give she, her a little bit more credit I mean, than that. Huh? <laughs> she,
2: no, sometimes she's unconsciously competent. Mm, she's been right. doing it so long. She's been doing it so um, long. And some psychologists did this with John Wooden many years ago, and they wrote an article what a coach could teach a teacher. And they said, what was Wooden doing? I mean... You know, and one of the things they figured out, he was praising the individual but scolding the group.
0: Mm. Whenever
2: somebody did wrong, praise. Whenever he did something wrong, he'd demonstrate. Nobody do it this way. He would never point to a person. Yeah. You know, a lot of coaches never use the word win. They go all out, give a full effort, and stuff like that. But if somebody wants to write a book with Maria, I mean, she is a genius. Right. And there are a lot of secrets there.
0: Right. Well how do you how, how important even at the high school level do you think the, the mindset of the individual is mental training than them kind of having an understanding of um, how do you keep the stage from getting too big for for your girls? And, uh,
1: the mental aspect, the psychology of playing in volleyball is huge. There's, there's big swings in volleyball with how they how the girls perform mm. and what they think they can do or can't do and that affects them tremendously right. And they even know many times before the match even starts, if they think they can beat a team, then we have a good shot at beating that team. If they think they can't, and I'm sure Dr. Gilbert will, you know, test to this um, in his dealings, then they won't. Mm-hmm. You know, they have to believe that they can. Um, but I do wanna mention here too, you need to surround yourself with the right people, with positive, good people that will help you along the way because, um, believe me I do not know everything and it's not all everything that I've done or said I've had a lot of people too along the way that I've helped.
0: I think that's a huge trait in all the leaders that you come across is them coming to understand that they don't know it all and that if you have the right team and you circle yourself with the right team. Something you talked about earlier was that you still get nervous. You still feel pressure. Yes, feel a lot of pressure. What do you do? What do you do with that? I think because
1: we've won so much, I feel the pressure. I I actually say to myself, why are you (laughs) doing this? Why do you put yourself through this? You don't have to. (laughs) Right,
0: right. Um, Yeah, it's tough. But there is a thrill to it, right?
1: Yeah, oh, yeah.
0: Doc, is there anything you've ever loved more than teaching? Can you think of anything? Uh, no.
2: Pizza. Uh, pizza, uh, no? pizza. No. Pizza. Pizza. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I was thinking this yesterday because I was—I didn't feel well yesterday. But I knew if I taught, I'd feel better. Like teaching is the best drug for me. I mean, teaching makes everything better, because I lose myself when I'm uh, I'm teaching. Right. I mean, I'm not reading off PowerPoints, and I'm not—it's just all. Just like you, it's all in, intuitive. Just yeah. for the
0: listener, just so, so they know what you're talking about with unconscious competence, can you explain that a little bit? Well, the four steps
2: to learning anything is, first step, you're unconscious incompetent. You don't know you don't know. So there was a time in our lives we didn't know how to ride a bike or tire shoes. You know, we just didn't even know. We didn't even know what a car was. And then the other kids were riding their bike, and we know we can't. So we're consciously incompetent. We know we don't know. I know I don't know how to tie my shoes. I know I don't know how to ride my bike. And then we get training wheels, or mom and dad show us how to tie our shoes. And then we're consciously competent, meaning we could do it, but we have to think a lot about it. You know, we really have to think, and it's really you know like signing your name before you're really good at it. And then the last stage is you're unconsciously competent; you could do it without thinking. So, um, Jared Cheetah was just elected to the Hall of Fame, and. And uh, some of the spectacular plays he did that seems like it was just, you know, he, j- he just did it. Right. He always practiced all of the weird plays. Right. You know, behind the back flips and all that stuff. So that's what you have to do, and that's what Maria's a genius of, because it all comes down to training. Right. That's my favorite word in the world, training. And uh, Maria's not the, the best coach the day of the game, but Maria's a just coach— you know, it's the iceberg effect. The day of the game is the tip of the iceberg, but how she trains these kids over and over and over again, that's where the
0: genius comes from. Right. You both have your arenas in which you compete in. Everybody has an arena that they compete in. Yours is the classroom, yours the volleyball court. When did you guys know that's where you belonged? Was it somewhere along the line or was it right away? I don't know.
1: When did you know? <laughs> it um, just happens. Well, it truly way. wasn't yeah, when okay. I was
2: a student. But when I came to Montclair State, and I just realized I, you know, uh, this is, I mean, not only because at the beginning I was a horrible teacher, but all I ever, it's what you think about, you know? What do you think about most of the time? Mm-hmm. And I think about, i think about okay, well, how, what's gonna happen in class? What am I gonna do the next talk? I'm always thinking about it. Now, there was a time, every once in a while, a student would laugh at something I said. So I started going to comedy clubs in New York and taking classes on how to be a stand-up comedian because Mm -hmm. I thought it would be great. But you know what? I didn't think about jokes all the time. Robin Williams did, you know. So if you want to be a comedian, you have to have a notebook. And you're always, like Stephen Wright, you're always writing stuff down. So I don't think about, you know, I think about teaching all the time.
0: Right. It's funny you guys both, when I asked you that question, you guys said the word just so many yeah. times. Yeah. You know, and you love the word just, yeah. well, right? Because just is unconsciously competent. It's unconsciously know, competent, the, the, the you know. You thing. just belong there because yeah. you just knew it. You could feel yeah. it. I, I always uh, said to you at lunch right before, I said, "Will you miss it. I think you would miss the thrill, but you tell me. Do you think you'll miss the thrill of it? What do you love um, most about coaching?
1: I, I think what I love the most is just the teaching of the game to the girls. It's not during the competitions, but it's, I think it's during the practices and leading up to it and seeing improvement. I mm-hmm. think that's what I like, and that the girls get more confident in themselves.
2: See, I think that's where the real competition is. If you have two hours and another coach has two hours, on a daily basis, could you get more done in two hours than the other coach? Because that's what's gonna show
0: up in competition. Hmm. Something I learned from you, Doc, was that athletes, most of them, don't like post-game analysis, right? PGA, PGA. Analysis. PGA. Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts on that, Maria? Do you think that well, ap- no, after me, a game? That, that no, let,
2: let me if They don't like it from their parents. Got it. That's what they don't got like. It. That's why a lot of kids drop out of sports, because they're driving home from the yeah. Little League game and they want to go to McDonald's, and mom and dad, who know nothing about Little League, are telling, well, you know, when they hit the ground ball, you should have thrown it to the right fielder. <laughs> right. The kid knows they know nothing about it.
1: Yeah, And w- once the contest ends, that should be it for a while. Mm. Players need to relax and enjoy it if it's a win or I guess just focus and think about what happened if it's a loss, right. but then they do have to get in the car with the parent who's talking about it and I think it's they should just lay off. Right, Lay off, give them time and just, you know, a lot of times they don't understand what's going on and the players do. The players understand what's happening, where they need improvement or whatever.
0: How do you uh, go about Um, leadership and and making sure that it flows down from you and and throughout the team Uh, is there something I do
1: that's unique I don't select captains we don't Mm. have captains so that everyone assumes responsibility we do have to have a captain or they call it a captain go to the coin toss Mm. and there has to be someone designated on the court to talk with the official if there's an issue but Otherwise, so I have to assign someone to do that. Otherwise, I wouldn't even do that. What made you go no captains? Well, because I realized at some point, I think, um, was this back when I had Dr. Gilbert? I'm trying to remember. I think it was before that. I realized that the true – because players that were selected as captains, whether I selected them or some years the team selected them, they weren't necessarily the leaders. They were captains in name only, but not the leaders, the true leaders – Come forth. They, you know, they will rise when you need them to, and lead the team when you need them to. So, in 1988, I'm dating myself. I decided at Sea caucus not to have captains. And if I have to pick a team, that was maybe my best. That might have been the year, because, um, and I only had six players. I had two sophomores, two juniors, two seniors. I remember the team. Oh my gosh. They didn't want to lose a point. didn't want to lose a point we went undefeated back then there was no tournament of champions we won the state title and we didn't have captains and i said you know what that's it that's it. no was
0: it an aha moment or you just yeah well
1: after that season i said you do not need captains and everyone just shared responsibility it was great and um so awesome yeah
0: I don't know, there might be the, the, a right way to go about like the hierarchy and, and making sure the things flow down correctly, but I love that. Yeah. I well, love that what strategy. I learned, um,
1: help me yeah, out, so, a woman wrote a book, she was a sociologist, Deborah Tanner, something
2: like that. Oh, about relationships.
1: Yeah, and how she said how, um, now this is years ago, but how uh, girls were brought up differently than little boys, that boys were brought up to... Listen to authority to have someone giving them orders and directions and play an army and whatever. Got it. <laughs> that kind of thing. And girls were not. Girls don't like to hear directions and uh-huh. orders from other girls.
0: Interesting. It made a lot
1: of sense. It makes a lot of so sense. So I just went with that. Mm-hmm. Right.
0: What's the uh U- UNC soccer coach's name? That was great for some for so of you Anson Durant's? Anson Durant's, Anson yeah. Durant's. He talks about that in a 1992 Sports Illustrated article, actually, that uh, coaching um, women as opposed to men is just different, right? I, I, and for that reason that you just explained right there. Um, Doc, you're, you're obsessed with stories. What, what made you become obsessed with stories? Uh, it's just the most fun thing.
2: Uh, well, I mean, everybody's obsessed with stories. They just don't realize it. You know, you pick up your friend at the airport, they just got back from Europe, and what we, are you driving them home? What does he or she tell you? They tell you all the stories. They don't tell you the facts. They don't say, well, uh, I was on the uh, train for 7,312 miles. You know, I spent $40,000. No, they said, oh, I almost got arrested in Austria. This I all, mean, <laughs> so somebody, Muriel Ruckheiser said, the universe is not made of atoms, it's made of stories. Mm, and everything, everything's a story. Look at history, S-T-O-R-Y. right? the read history, history right. is story. I mean, we love it. We love stories. E- everything, books are stories. Sports are stories. Everything's a story.
0: You you You're you right do it. You do it so well in delivering a message, right? You, mm-hmm. you you go off on a tangent about a story, and then you drive home a message. Mm-hmm. Uh, what could you say for any coach that's listening on the importance of stories, importance of using it to deliver a message, and how to do that?
2: Well, I'd say call my success hotline, nine seven three seven four three four six nine zero, or my. 6 podcastcom and I put all my messages there and just like Maria, if I'm any good at telling stories, it's because I've been doing it for 28 straight years every single day, so it's not like I'm was a one storyteller, I'm a trained storyteller. Right. I mean, every day I put a three minute message
0: out there. And there you go. Yeah. And I... I Something that we started with was how Maria shows up every single day and has been doing it for so long. You've been doing that success hotline every day. Yeah. And isn't there something to be said about just nothing nothing sexy about it, just kind of going through it, that incremental improvement every yeah. single day? Yeah. Um, when did you guys realize that that was, like, important, that kind of just sometimes boring, sometimes not every practice is going to be as exciting, but there's something, maybe one nugget or two that you can learn from Uh, a practice or a story or one of your messages Um, what could you say on the importance of not being a flash in the pan and and, and searching for this just one aha moment or this one oh my god this is going to be the practice that changes everything
2: well I I don't think you focus on the part I think you focus on just doing it every single day saving money every single day dieting every single day, reading every single day if you do it every single day there's going to be magic Right. if you do it once, you know I'm 72 years old and if I only work out on weekends, I'm going to have a heart attack. <laughs> it's better to not work out at all than to be you know, a Sunday warrior right. because that's too much for the stress. Right. But if I work out every day, I'm in good
0: shape. What do I say is the most powerful thing in the world? Momentum. 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 It's better to do a little a lot than a lot a little because there's a burnout rate that comes with that. Yeah. Um, do you have, Maria, do you have a motto, a team quote or slogan or pillars that you guys use every year?
1: Something I, I keep bringing up <laughs> as we go along is um, the little things matter. Uh, yeah, I'm big on that. Why? I don't know. If you just take care of the little things, um, I don't know. It, it, so it, it that,
0: that, that is what's, like, really important. But how do you get your girls to do that? How do you get them to? Well,
1: I just make sure. It's just little things such as what they're wearing right. and what they look like. Just little, you know, and I'll tell them it's, if someone's not in line, I'll say, it, you know what, it's the little things that matter. Right. This is why you're being asked to do that.
0: Right. I I, I love the story of John Wooden teaching the team how to uh, put their socks on, right? Because if they got a blister in a game, uh, oh. they don't want to have to deal with that. But um, I was just reading in, in this book called Atomic Habits by James Clear, how this man um, for the British cycling team named David Brailsford um, became the head of it. And they hadn't won a cycling event in 110 years. Not the Tour de France, not the World Championship, nothing. And he comes in and he implements the aggregation of marginal gains. And all it's the idea of 1% better or 1% worse. And you don't really realize in the next day or week, uh, but over his theory on atomic habits and that 1% better, and I mean, the changes that David Brailsford were making were kind of absurd to, the, to the, or weird to the, to the public. I mean, he was bringing in doctors to show people how to wash their hands. He was bringing in massage gels. He was wearing these electrically padded uh, pants to keep their muscle temperature up. These windbreakers when they're going through wind tunnels. I mean, these little tiny gains everywhere. But the point of this story is that the results came within five years. They had... of the gold medals um, in the Olympics in 2004. Then they went to the London Olympics. And then within that same year uh, or that same decade, they had their first uh, Brit to win the Tour de France. And then they won five out of the next six years Tour de France, right? Pretty powerful story. 110 years of nothing. Then you implement the aggregate of marginal gains and look what happens in five years, right? And it doesn't happen overnight, it doesn't even happen in a year, Uh, but in five years it was a hockey stick type of gains that were happening Um, and these results were real, right? So when you say the little things matter, that's what I think of. I Mm -hmm. think that um, if you can't do the little things right, you can't do the big things right. Um, Do you see that every single practice or how meticulous are you about it or do they kind of pick up? After I a couple,
1: believe I'm meticulous. I think,
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think it's important to yeah, be no. right. Yeah, right? they
1: know, Yeah. You know,
0: something that we talked about at lunch was that you don't yell, but you're sometimes stern. How, when do you choose your times to be serious and um, raise your voice um, or deliver a message powerfully?
1: If, if you, if you see something that isn't going right, if someone is off line, like not. I don't know. I'm trying to think of when I would do this. Right. No, but it talks (laughs) um, about the timing of coaching matters. They'll know just with my tone and my expression that I'm not happy about something. But I'm not. I could be yelling and nobody would even hear me, so I don't do that. But (laughs) (laughs) um, they know. I mean, the girls know what's expected of them, and they they're hard on themselves too. I'm coaching at a school that is a very um, highly academic school. Mm -hmm. It's very competitive, even with academics. So. These girls are those type of, of you know individuals. I, when I get there, they're after school. So JV and freshmen are practicing at that time. Our varsity girls are up in the balcony. They're doing their work. I mean, I'm not telling them to. They're just very driven across the board with right. academics and athletics. So they push themselves. It's really the, you know, cool you lay themselves. such a great foundation. Yeah. right? Yeah. it kind of feeds yeah. into
0: itself. They just and know. Just as like a, one more question on that. When you do try to implement something and to give a teaching point or a coaching point, is it usually X's, X's and O's based, or is it effort-based? It oh, usually? could be both. Could be yeah, both. Or either
1: could be or both. both. Yeah.
0: What do you two use as inspiration in your teaching and your coaching? Books? Does anything come to mind? Is there anybody you guys idolize that you looked up to um, to help you coach, um, to help you teach, to be a better teacher?
1: Well, he denied it before, but I do use still to this day different strategies he presented in a class back in the late 80s i, mean, I still use some of his techniques they're timeless All right. he also comes and speaks at my camp during the summer so sometimes i learn some new things when he's right <laughs> you know presenting to the to the campers
0: what's m- most amazing about both of you is that you have this this view of yourself as if it's not that high as if you guys are not that successful or great at what you guys do where does that come from how do you keep that humility about yourself Well,
2: I mean that's not the fun thing the fun thing is not to get to the top of the mountain the fun thing is you know like for me it's the stories I'm gonna find the quotes I'm gonna find going up the mountain right I mean uh, you know if, if I were comparing myself to Tony Robbins ne- I'm never gonna win
0: mm. uh, it's that comparison exteriorly rather than what you're doing yeah. right
2: but I mean, you know, it's uh, the, For me, unlike Maria, I mean, there's not no. The wins and losses are with people. You know, uh, is somebody five years from now going to come back and say, you know, this really helped me or something like mm-hmm. that? But um, you know, I had a guy last week come to my class, and he took a class 20 years ago, and he said it really helped him out. I said that's nice. <laughs> I, said, I, said, I said, I said, what are you doing? What are you doing this weekend? He said, oh, I'm a referee in the Super Bowl. You know, so he's one of the seven people <laughs> that were refereeing the Super Bowl. <laughs> so I'm not saying that's anything. Great I said that? help him get in the Super Bowl, but he's—he's he's
0: at the top of his profession, right? But, you know. uh, that's what I was talking about before about how peak performers rarely look back and see their impact. You know, yeah. you have this this amazing referee coming in and letting you know your impact years later, right? Maria, do you have any stories like that about your girls that come back? Uh, well, probably I hundreds.
1: hear it. You know,
0: <laughs> <laughs> every single day, right, Doc? <laughs> Letters in the mail, everything.
2: Well, there, there is something about being successful You know, success breeds success, Mm. and when you're around a person with Maria, and I mean, and she wins all the time, and her teams win all the time. I, you know, nobody ever gets sick of winning. You know, right? And everybody wants to be other people get
1: sick of us winning. I mean, (coughs) it's hard because you know, just like the New England Patriots, everyone wants to see us go down. Yeah, and you know, it's hard to get that support.
2: uh, Maria, one thing I want to make clear is when she was at Secaucus C- High School and she won the state championship every year. They said, oh, well, you know, that's group one, that's the smallest school. She couldn't do it her group four. Then she went to the biggest schools and she's did it, both the smaller and the biggest.
0: Right, I had an inflection point when I was a uh, freshman at Yale. Uh, President Salve of Yale came to speak to all the Ivy League championships winners. So I guess I finished my Yale, my first year at Yale. We were coming back for my sophomore year, um, and he was a professor of psychology before. Now he's the president of Yale, and he gave this speech, and I'll never forget it. He talked about burging, B-I-R-G, um, and it's basking in reflective glory. And what it means is uh, you don't believe in a zero-sum game and, and in that if you win, then I lose. It's kind of like a win-win, right? So what Basking in Reflective Glory is all about is if I look at IHA and I say, I know Maria, and I love that she's winning, and by me getting enthusiastic about your wins and basking in your reflective glory, it'll bring more success into my life. Now, both of you in this podcast have talked about the influence of positive people and how important it is to be around good relationships. But that's the thing that I think about often, right? And I have sometimes every reason to be upset. You're right? That's my direct competitor. You know? He mm-hmm. is taking my job or in the cross, i've sat out at games but it's really not about that if you keep can keep that perspective of basking in reflective glory that success is coming right waves don't crash right at sea right they start further out right so you kind of have to keep that view on it because if you lose that burgeoning mentality and you only pick yourself up to look at what you've done so far and to look what your competitors are out are, are at then you lose momentum in your own life, in your own team, in your own business. Mm-hmm. So I really love that idea of basking in reflective glory because I feel like it's done a lot for me in my own life. In in, in looking at teams like the Patriots and having respect for it, right? I'm a Giants fan, but I have respect for Tom Brady, right? Mm-hmm. Because of his work ethic. And um, if you look at the influence Kobe Bryant's death just had, right? Mm-hmm. People are right. burgeoning there. Yeah, they're certainly burgeoning right. there because they're like. Whatever he was doing was a little piece of me too. Mm-hmm. And that's what's really powerful about sport. Um, I think that's what's really cool about sports psychology is because sport is just a platform, right? Mm-hmm. To that point, how have you used coaching to help you in life? Have you used it, or do you see direct correlation?
1: Oh, my goodness. It's been such a big part of my life because I've been doing it so many years. Um, and I've been so fortunate because it took me in other directions, being on Um, different committees with the State Athletic Association and even the National Federation of high school coaches so I got to know coaches from all over the country coaches from other sports Um, I was actually president of the National Federation high school coaches at one point Um, it was so it was for all sports and that I was so exciting and just to meet some celebrities along the way at Mm -hmm. their different functions the galas that they had um, and I, I enjoy that part of it. I enjoyed being on selection committees for different Hall of Fames for the state and for the National Hall of Fame, um, being on the Volleyball State Committee, trying to make changes and improve things here in New Jersey. So. It's taken me in other directions too. It's been so great. many
0: different paths, and yeah. for those listening, Maria's not only in New Jersey Hall of Fame; she's National Hall of Fame. And it just goes to show that we're pack-oriented, and the more you work individually, uh, the more you become part of communities that um, of successful people, and that allow you to meet um, celebrities and, and very successful you? people.
1: I need to correct you. I'm not in the National Hall of Fame, but. Um, I am in New Jersey, so Disney Coach
0: of
2: the Year. Disney um, Coach of the Year. There's only yeah. one person in the country. You know? Sorry, um, yeah, so it was a better okay. accolade than I her. No, volleyball <laughs> Coach of the
0: Year. Coach of the Year. Mm-hmm. One, um. t- one term that I want to bring up, uh, really impactful, that you've taught me, Doc, is Shaktipad. Oh, yeah. What is it? Why is it so, so important?
2: Shaktipad is a Sanskrit word, and it means exchange of energy. And so, you know, suppose you uh, really like uh, some rock star. And you could see him or her on YouTube. You could buy the CDs, the DVDs. But you want to go to the concert because there's some exchange of energy you get from, you know, seeing them live. And so there's always an exchange of energy from teacher to student, from coach to athlete, from performer to members of the audience. And the, now the question isn't whether it's exchange of energy. The question is, is it going to be positive or negative? You know, you could go into a classroom and come out totally de-energized, or you go into a classroom and come out totally inspired. Mm -hmm. So I know my job, number one, is not education. My job, number one, is inspiration.
0: Mm.
2: So my job, number one, is when these kids leave this room, they're going to be more energized when they came in.
0: Right, because they showed up, right? That was the first one. What's the second thing? Attention. And how are you going to keep their attention? pot, right?
2: Well, I mean, that's that's the the key thing.
0: So what attributes? And, And the
2: amazing thing about volleyball talk about energy. I've never seen a sport where the energy shifts so quickly. Yeah. So drastically. Yeah. Like, did you, when you were watching the Super Bowl, even though they were 10 points behind, didn't you get that feeling that it's over, Kansas City's going to win?
0: Well, it's momentum
2: you, to you, me. You got the momentum. Right? Got the it's,
0: it's momentum. And yeah. I, I've, I've watched um, volleyball when I was at Yale, and they celebrate every point. That's different than most sports, right? <laughs> I, I, like, that's very rare in, in a lot of other sports. But I see every single time, hand slapping, clapping, all this different stuff. Something that I use all the time myself and in in coaching is in 2008, Kevin Garnett won an NBA championship at the Boston Celtics, but he was also the most touched player, and he won the MVP. But there's something to be said about, and there's an article, right, of Mm -hmm. Kevin Garnett being the most touched player. And it goes into the psychology of getting external not being in your own head, yeah. by me touching a teammate appropriately, that allows me to get out of my yeah. own head, stop thinking, oh, Mark, am I gonna do this? Am I gonna do that? You don't have any doubt. You just mm-hmm. do, that unconsciousness. Why, yeah. do, why is it so prevalent? <laughs> it
1: really helps for them to, to get together after their points, um, because you have to be mentally tough to be a volleyball player. It's unlike other sports, because the crowd is closed in, when you error, the ref blows a whistle, so everyone is now focusing on you oh, who made yeah. the error. If you make an error in basketball, the, you know it's, you're running down the court. Yeah. But right here in volleyball, everyone is looking at you, so you need to be able to handle that. So um, all those times where you are coming together really helps, you know, to get through things. But even if you make an error, maybe someone's saying something to you you know, focus on the next point, don't, you know, you'll clean it up or whatever. I'm
0: just thinking about this. Do you ever look at the team you're playing against and see them not celebrating and then being like, wow, this is um, momentum against them or, cause that Shakti pot is really real in a, in a volleyball a, We <laughs> on played a, a high court. school.
1: Um, we actually didn't, yeah, we did. We played them last year in the tournament of champions. I won't say what high school, but the girls would cheer with the opposing team's fans. It was different yeah it was really strange That's weird. <laughs> wow <laughs> I didn't see them doing that again yeah. this year though wow, but in th- the coach I believe explained like that was their way of dealing with their errors right i right. don't know I've never seen that before, but that was a little strange
0: right. yeah. i i think um <laughs> observation uh, as a it coach, was, how important well. is that right yeah it
1: was it, it was actually um it was annoying to the teams they were playing against that they had to, they were dealing with something they weren't used to, mm-hmm. the other team reacting like that.
0: Here's a question I have for you adjustments. I, 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 I've been on teams where we didn't make halftime adjustments or quarterly adjustments or just in game adjustments. How important are those to the success of the teams you've been well, on? Well,
1: you need to make adjustments if you can, if you're able to, if you have the personnel. That can quickly make adjustments and um, fix things because otherwise, you know, if the other team keeps doing the same thing, they'll get the same results. So,
0: how it, do you balance that? It's,
1: it's not easy. You you just get two timeouts and they're quick. They go quickly. So you know it's hard, and you can't give too much information in a timeout.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, you said you were meticulous. Are you meticulous in game or only during the training?
1: No, during the game too. Oh yeah. really? Well, you have to be, I think. Right. Right. You okay. have to be on top of it, know what to expect, need to get the feel of when you need to call a timeout.
0: Mm-hmm. What do you do in those really pressurized uh, situations? Man. Tight match.
1: Sometimes yeah, like you just have to get a feel, too, for how the team is feeling, how they're reacting, if they need to be picked up, if they just, you know. Usually they do need to be picked up if you're calling the timeout. (laughs) It's
0: usually based on that energy, right? Yeah, it's like getting them back in.
1: Yeah, you just have to get in their heads and, you know, make it work.
0: I mean, it's a really basic Yerkes curve, right, Uh, on on performance, relaxation, or energizing. Really, really basic on optimal performance. But how important is it to relax and to energize at the right time and be able to control that? It's
2: huge. No, I mean... uh, you know the the problem for most people isn't being motivated. The problem is being too motivated. Mm. The problem is how do you take, you know, somebody who's really really uh, super psyched up and relax them back to somewhat normal.
0: What would you suggest to people that are over anxious or don't handle pressure well? How do they relax? Kind of just,
2: uh, well, first of all, if you wanna, if you wanna. Uh, If you want to take this advice today in the games tonight, forget about it. It's something you have to practice. It's a skill. It's a mental skill. It's Mm -hmm. just relaxation, stress reduction. Um, Sports psychology in the last month has totally changed because LeBron James bought into a company called Calm, Mm -hmm. and there were ads all over radio. I can't believe they're advertising sports psychology. and And LeBron James is saying stuff like, uh, good athletes train their body, great athletes train their mind. I mean, I can't believe this is on the radio. And you could buy the Calm not but it's all about relaxation, falling asleep, mental training. LeBron James is, like, totally into recovery. His whole thing is recovery. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's always icing. He's always sleeping. He's always recovering. So sports psychology is becoming mainstream now with these ads. Right.
0: I think it's really important to understand that not all stress is bad and no, there is no. such thing as positive no. stress it's no. huge for games. Well it's called
2: eustress is good stress and distress is bad stress. Right
0: and and what's really really important if you want growth the recovery has to come after that stress yeah. right uh, I think that goes back to what we we're talking about post-game analysis it goes back to just yeah. decompressing before you go again and not kind of burning too hot all the time because then you're only staying in like yeah. a third or fourth gear, gear yeah. and rather than pushing the envelope. You say often and this will be a great uh, statement and question for both of you. You always say the best team never wins. Why?
2: Well, the best team never wins. The team that plays best always wins. Because you could spend, I mean, gambling is becoming so popular now that it's legal. And everybody's trying to try who has the edge, who's bigger, who's stronger, who's faster, who's more skilled. You, you could try to figure that out for the Super Bowl for the rest of your life. But these teams are not that different. And we don't know how they're going to operate the day of the game. Right. Once the ball is kicked off, we don't know who's going to rise to the occasion who's going to fall. We don't know who's going to be psyched up. We don't know who's going to be psyched out. Mm-hmm. And so, it's uh, it, first of all, that's why it's ridiculous to bet on sports. I mean, you're never going to get it right.
0: I love it because I think it, it provides hope to the yeah. underdog. And there's an underdog but, mentality. Uh,
2: but you could train yourself to be better prepared. Mm. Like and study what Maria does. Her teams are always better prepared. They're always mentally in the right place. They never choke. I said so they've never choked. M- Maria, yeah, how do you deal with they, that
0: consistency? They've choked,
1: Doc. You just haven't
0: <laughs> seen it. You
1: haven't been to that match. Um, but I think it just comes back to having confidence and knowing you can. Having confidence individually and then collectively as a team. They realize that they can or they can't, mm-hmm. and I think that's a huge part of it. Mm -hmm. and it's part of the psychology of
0: the game. Right. Dr. Nick Molinaro talks about self-efficacy, which is proof of skill. You said confidence and then knowing you can, right? Because confidence is one thing, but it's kind of like this belief that's a bubble that can be popped unless you trained for it, right? And that's the knowing Mm -hmm. you can, that proof of skill that comes with self-efficacy, that knowing that you've put the time in, you invested the time, Um, with the other girls on the team to do the right things. Therefore, you can have the confidence, right? Because Mm -hmm. confidence deals more with a feeling. um, And you have this self-efficacy, which deals with more the knowing, the thought, the thought life of that individual saying, yeah, I've been here before, and I'm going to sink to my levels of training. Mm -hmm. And I don't care how big the moment gets. I'm going to go to my training, and I know that I can, and I'm going to perform right here. Because... Everybody always is told, you know, you should be more confident. I was just uh, uh, watching a TED Talk. Or it was relax. called relax.
1: Call, tel- they'll yeah, they'll I was, be well, yelling out, I relax, was, relax.
0: I was watching a TED Talk called The Art of Being Yourself. And uh, the, I forget the woman's name, but she talks about how people give advice like, just be yourself we don't want to be anybody else, right? We just want <laughs> sure. to be ourselves. but how do we do that? And I think that's that's why I bring uh, peak performers like you guys on here, because I want people to understand how, right? And your team gets there, that consistent winning, how? Confidence, but what's more important is the knowing that they can, that mm-hmm. comes from the training, yep. right? It's because training, it's- It's training,
1: it's practice, it's working hard and, and knowing that you're improving.
0: Right. I can enter a surfing competition and be confident, right? It's, ridiculous confidence but I've never surfed in my life right so sometime during that competition the doubt will creep in maybe when the waves coming <laughs> right and, and, and the barrels about to hit me I'll say no I've never been here before question for both of you um, this podcast is called grateful and full of greatness how would you guys define greatness
2: um, well I heard a quote recently talent is hitting a target no one else could hit. Genius is hitting a target no one else could see. You know, so talent is hitting a target nobody else could hit. That's like greatness. But genius, ultimate greatness is like Wayne Gretzky. I mean, how did he know where the puck was going to be? You know, he's hitting a target no one else could see. And so, you know, I'm sure Maria, she sees formations and something happens in her brain and she she makes adjustments, you know? I mean, it just it just happens.
1: I think a lot of it that I've done in the past is placing the athletes in positions that not only are good for them, but they're where the team needs them to be. Mm. And I think that's been a big part of it too.
0: I've talked because they've
1: played other positions, maybe in club or another year. I might change their, you know, where they are, and it's and that's how the team can do best. Right. But sometimes. Not everybody wants that.
0: <laughs> I think the years of my lacrosse career in which I didn't perform at the best of my ability was because I was unaware of what I was expected of me, my role, you know, and it was ever changing, mm-hmm. whether it was during a game, whether it was during a full yeah. season. And what you were talking about is putting players in a position to be yeah. successful. They're aware of what the role is, right? And yeah. I, I, um,
1: they're not always accepting of it though right what what do you do what do you do with that well that that's hard that becomes a hard part of coaching getting them to understand that this year was great we had some seniors that weren't on the court but they still cared so much about the team and that you know we would you know be successful at the end that they weren't selfish and it was great that doesn't always happen Mm -hmm. you don't always get that and um you know it it was remarkable that they were and it made it so much better for the whole for the team and the whole season and so much more enjoyable to have you know players that just put the team first right. it was whether they were on the court or off the court and it really mattered it made a big difference
0: i i said to you during lunch how much i love the word gutsy why, why do you yeah. say beat to your girls be quick and gutsy
1: well I always look for quick and gutsy in players. If I know someone is gutsy, I want them on the court because those other girls that will work hard, they'll go after things. They're the ones you can rely on when the game is on the line.
0: Right. So that reliability is yep. huge, right? Yep. And how would you define that? Re- that gutsy word? Well, they're word? just
1: they're go-getters. They're aggressive. They want to make sure they they will give it their best shot. They mm-hmm. will just go. There's no hesitation. They they want it they're going to work hard they're going to go after things
0: so I often talk about um this is amazing that the audience is getting an understanding of what what you guys do uh what would you say is your why and why do you coach why 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 do you come back the next year for year 43 and then keep going year (laughs) after year
1: well at this point now that I'm retired from teaching it's something that I'm doing part of the year Mm. um I don't have any other hobbies, I guess, at this point, so this is it. That's all you know? Yeah, <laughs> this is it, what a big about, part yeah. of me.
2: Well, John F. Kennedy once said when he was president, there's only one reason to give a speech, and that's to change the world. So that's why, I, you know, I'm, I'm in my classes, I'm there to change their lives. I'm there to change the world. Now, am I changing their world? Uh, their world, the world, maybe. Uh, there was a guy that, when he was in high school, he came to one of my talks, and even now... When he gives speeches, I hear some of the stuff he stole from me. Right,
0: and you definitely hear that from me, right? Well,
2: but I say, who was this guy, <laughs> Senator Cory Booker? Oh wow! <laughs> you know, wow. and so he was in when he was in the eleventh grade. He took one of my seminars, and he's still using some of the stuff, which is, you know, in a way, that's my goal. Is you know, my goal is not to get a paycheck. My not is not to have a good PowerPoint presentation. It's it's to change their lives. You know, to be uh, give them some ideas that are so outrageous that will actually change them
0: well i I mean i you're the one who told me that smart people borrow but geniuses steal oh absolutely right
2: absolutely
0: um I met Doc Gilbert two years ago, um, and he's a, a grace and God. That's for sure. Um, he's a reason why, a big reason why, um, that I choose to go out into the world and help my clients um, peak perform and find the right strategies. I think it's awesome um, that we had Maria Nolan here, an amazing, amazing coach who's so decorated and, and yet so, so humble. Um, Doc, any final words that you would say about Maria Nolan and? Uh, her influence on you and
2: well she's just on um, her girls I've just never known anybody like her in sports I mean year after year after year after year with such Jinxing consistency me. and such <laughs> grace and such uh, just amazing The, the audience it, you didn't see just
1: her jinx me did you <laughs> no, I so. no. I, see
2: I think you're so good no. you copy drinks. No,
1: um, no but you asked about why do I keep doing this I guess I'm able to I'm able you know to keep Working with young girls and, you know, helping teams win and just bringing out the best. If I can, I'll keep doing it.
0: And um, do you think you'll hopefully
1: ever- Hopefully we'll keep winning.
0: When you do retire years from now, you think you'll miss the pressure?
1: Um, not the pressure, no. no. The pressure's tough, no.
0: The I don't, thrill? I don't what, like what, the pressure. what will you miss the most?
1: I think just the, I don't know. I, I just like teaching it. Mm-hmm. I I like teaching the game to the- for the players, having seeing their improvement, seeing them learn. Right. And do you I feel like you still most. learn? Or not? Oh yeah. Like I would. You know, I was just at the NCAA um, Final Four. There's the American Volleyball Coaches Association has a convention there, mm. so I went there. You know, to some sessions and always reading, always learning. Right. And now with the internet, it's easy. Right. Very so. easy. Yep.
0: Well, thank you guys so much for coming on. I really, really appreciate it. You guys are great in my mind. Um, you guys continue to pursue something great and, and shape um, uh, the mind, bodies, and crafts of all your students and your players. Um, and the world's a better place with both you and it.
1: Thank you. Thanks Thank for you. having us. <laughs>